Hello, we have power. Let me pray. Uh, God, thank you this morning for the various ways that you come to us. May we have eyes to see those ways even when they look like waves or feel like strong winds in our lives. Thank you that among us and between us is grace. A whole bunch of grace. We love you. Amen. Well, good morning, friends. How are you? Jim, are you still in here? Okay, he's right there. I have one question for you. Did you mow the grass yesterday? Did you mow the grass? That was the Sweeney's? Oh, my goodness. I thought you came back and mowed yesterday after getting off the plane for traveling for 32 hours. <laughs> when I came in this morning, I saw it mowed, and I was like, who is this man? How can I... How, no, how can I be more like him? I still, that still hangs true. Uh, well, it's good, it's good to be with you. Um, it's good to be back. Um, very few stories maybe today about the trip, but it'll, they'll come out, I'm sure. Um, and what I just, I've had a few people ask, so there is another one being planned, so FYI, okay? All right, so uh, I, love this, I love this piece, this moment we have I love these words that Jesus says, you know, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And what I want to do this morning is just sort of step through it, so I'll invite you to open your pew Bibles um, to Matthew 14. Maybe I just want to start out with a, a little bit of a question. Um, how did you feel when you took this scene in, right? You can, I mean, you can shout out your answer too, but I'm just, I'm just inviting you to think for a minute, uh, ponder back to how you were feeling as you were reading this, right? Because it's sort of a setup job. Uh, right away, 1422, it says, Immediately, he made, not he invited, not he suggested, not he urged, he made the disciples get into the boat, all right? So just, just put, right? Because what happens is scary. He makes the disciples get into the boat and go to the other side, go ahead of him on the other side, while he dismisses the crowd. Okay, so, so what happens right before this is Jesus feeds the 5,000, 5,000 plus, right? Like, he, with nothing. He feeds them with two, what is it, five loaves uh, of fish, uh, five loaves of, five loaves of fish, the heat is, is still, the five loaves of bread and the two fish. He feeds them with this. This is the moment. And then it says, immediately after this was over, over he makes the disciples get into the boat and go to the other side ahead of him, and he dismisses the crowd, right? He's not using the disciples as a buffer. He says, you guys go to the other side. I'll meet you over there. Hop in the boat. Listen, Peter, James, and John, y'all know how to 
navigate boats. You take them to the other side. I'll meet you over there. No question about how he's going to get over there, but they probably learned long ago to maybe curtail the questions of how are you going to do this, right? That, and which is maybe something we would all do well with, at least I would do well with, and maybe you too, where God says, hey, this is going to happen, or you, know, you feel invited into something, you go, but how can this be? How will this happen? And sometimes it's just like, I don't know, it's just going to, you know, just wait and watch, wait and see. So he, he makes the disciples get into the boat and goes to the other side while he dismisses the crowd. So how would you feel in this moment? How do you, how, you know, like, are you, you think this is a good, is this good leadership? Is this bad leadership? Is this Jesus leadership, right? What, what is this, especially as we know what's gonna happen, how do, you, how do you feel in this moment? Thankful that it seems Jesus knows how to do immersion therapy with our fears? Uh, frustrated because I don't wanna confront my fears on someone else's timetable. I wanna confront them on my own. Right, um, you know, if there's a, a chance you read this and you feel a little um, frustrated because Jesus isn't functioning, and maybe in the way we think leaders should function in 2023. This is a there's something happening here. I think it's helpful at the beginning to recognize that this is a little bit of a setup job, and it's especially a setup job because. If you take a quick uh, turn in your Bible, the Pew Bible, to 789, page 789, Matthew 8:23, what happens in 8:23 to 27? He stops the storm, which means what about what's happening in Matthew 14? Huh? Okay, he could have just stopped the storm. Really important. What else? I mean, this is, again, sometimes my questions are ridiculous. You're like, you skip right over them because you think it's so obvious, but it's helpful to notice the obvious. Or why are we letting him do this to us? Uh, why are we letting him do this to us what? Again. again. What's happening in 14, this isn't the first time they've been there. This is, again. Now, this first time, where was, in, in Matthew 8, uh, where was Jesus in Matthew 8? Anybody remember or read? He was napping in the, in the boat in the storm. Okay, this time where is he? He's up in the mountain or he's walking on water or he's saying, Peter, try your luck. So it's just helpful to go, okay, there's a little, maybe this is a little bit of a, a setup and this is not the first time they've been there. So what's happening here, I would suggest, appears to be happening by design. Um, and design, whether they want it or not, whether we like the implications of it or not, whether Jesus, God, behaves the way we want in our lives, God is, is working. God is, is, is moving. And what I want to suggest is what some of the earlier, earliest commentators on, you know, once we get the Gospels, point out, which is, this is, there's, it seems to be like Jesus is training his people for things. He's, he's teaching them through not just his words, but through what they do together. That's, I mean, that's part of what good teachers do, right? Good teachers don't just sit and talk to you. 
They do things with you. They lead you through, through moments. They bring you through experiences. They, they put things in. And this is what God does for us in our lives. Like There's a way to live upon which everything we come across, there are ways to find God in it. Now, I'm not saying God's the, like, the, like made all the bad things happen in your life, so thank God for all the junk. Um, but there's a way of being thankful within each of the moments we find ourselves in and to look for God's presence because just like happens in this story, just like happens at the end of Matthew's gospel, just as happens through every story throughout scripture, God is with us. One of the alternate readings for this morning was um, Genesis 37, which leads us to Joseph's story. And Joseph, we, you know, we had a great life. Ha ha. Right, tossed in prison or been a pit twice, false accusation. I mean, right, he's living the dream. And one of the things that it says is, and God was with Joseph. Maybe there's a way in which we think, well, if this is how you treat your friends, I'd prefer to follow from a distance. But there's this way in our life, in our circumstances, with each other in relationship, God's working through even the difficult things. And in the difficult things, God's present with us, inviting us somehow into life with him. So this is, you know, maybe a little bit of a setup, but we have Jesus here teaching not just through words and saying, hey, do this, don't do this, life, think about it this way, but actually like putting, up, putting them in situations and perhaps putting us in situations where, where we have to walk these things, walk these things out. So after he dismissed the crowd, what does he do? 14. All right, he goes up the mountain. Why does he go up the mountain? He goes to, up the mountain to pray by himself. Now, what does it take to go up a mountain? A what? Effort. Intention. Now, is God only on mountains? No, that's ridiculous. Why would Jesus not just pray where he was? Why doesn't he just stay where he is? All right. The chances of being interrupted where he is are high. And I would offer that there's some sort of symbolic action going on by climbing a mountain. Because there's all these stories in scripture where it's up mountains that people meet with God. And of course, we don't have to climb mountains to meet with God. We don't have to come to church on Sundays to meet with God. We don't have to, do, have to do anything, but there's something about the actions we take. There's something about the effort we put into our life. I, one of the things that fascinates me, and I, I wonder how you feel about this and how you notice this, the amount of effort we put into the things we want in our life, right? Like studying, school. You want a good grade, you hit the books, right? You, you, wanna, you wanna make some cash money, you put in the time, you want a nice place to live? You pick up a hammer. Or some, never mind. I was gonna crack a joke about how I can't fix my house very well, but, right? We, we put so much effort into so many things, sports. And yet, our spiritual life, we attend to optionally. And we use grace, which is crazy to me. We use, well, it's not crazy to me. I get it, but it's crazy. I'm crazy to me. Does that, like, when I say I'm crazy, I'm not like, y'all are crazy. You should do this. I'm saying, when I look at my life and I look at how sometimes I'm like, I don't want to do this, this, and this. I don't want to follow, like, these 
these things that are life-giving for me, I just don't want to do because they take some work. I'd rather just sit and whatever. Um, it's wild to me that I use grace as an excuse to not have effort in my spiritual life. And then I go, well, it's just, you know, I'm going to, sort of like Paul says, should we sin so that grace can increase? Shall we unattend to our inner spiritual life so that, you know, our grace, that's just ridiculous. But it's, it's a thing we do. Well, it's a thing I do, and I assume we're not all that different. So we see Jesus putting in this effort, not only to get away from the, clou- get away from the crowds, not only to like, go up a mountain because that's where it does, and he does this all the time, by the way, but I would suggest we just see him putting in some effort. Maybe that's where he feels closest. Some of us, it's sunrise. Some of us, maybe it's the lake. Some of us, maybe there's a special room in our house. Maybe it's, maybe it's church, right? There are a variety of places where, where the this, this space is special to us, and and some effort goes into that, and that's a good thing to do. And when you're putting effort into your spiritual life, you're not negating God's grace. You're just attending to it. So he goes, um, and he attends to it, and then um, when evening came, he was there alone, right? So at the end of verse 23, it, uh, it says, so uh, after he dismissed the crowds, and he went the mountain by himself to pray, when evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat battered by the waves was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, is that what you all have? Do you all have early in the morning? What do you have, Deanne? You got your own Bible there, I bet. What do you have? All right, during the fourth watch of the night. Does anybody know when the fourth watch of the night is? I see what you did there. Nice job. It's 3 to 6 a.m. Jesus isn't showing up at 10 p.m. right after sundown. He shows up as morning's about to break. And spoiler, I'm going to suggest that when we get to the very end of this, we're going to see a lot of light breaking into this story on, on a whole bunch of levels, okay? But he's, he's showing up to them between 3 and 6 a.m. and the, the fourth watch of the night, which is just before you start to see the light break. It's really dark, and then in this moment, you, you have darkness and you have this, this flash in of light. Uh, he sees the, them come walking towards them on the sea, and when the disciples see him walking on the sea, they're terrified. Of course they're terrified, um, and what do they say? <laughs> right? This is a Halloween passage. This is a, right? He's, it's a ghost. And I, I so enjoy these moments. Like in the Gospel of John, Mary, she confuses Jesus for who? After the, after the resurrection, she thinks Jesus is what? A gardener. He's not the gardener. And is he the gardener of our lives, of our souls, of, Right? I just think that's great. Is Jesus a ghost? No, absolutely he's not the ghost. He's not a ghost. This is real Jesus walking on water. But Trinity, God, right? We have the spirit. We sang it this morning. The spirit was hovering over the waters at the beginning. In Genesis 1, we said the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And here we have Jesus walking on the waters out to the disciples. We have, we have what Jesus is doing here sounds an awful lot like, a, like the creation story. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Holy Ghost is actually my favorite way to describe it because I think it's good for us to be haunted by God in our lives a little bit. So we have them, they, they say he's a ghost, and then they do whatever, <laughs> whatever you do when you see a ghost, you cry out in fear. Watch enough Scooby-Doo, um, or if you're Bill Murray in Ghostbusters, you crack a joke, right? But they cry out, 
they cry out in fear. I think this next part needs to be delicate, and I've been a little delicate with it up to this point. But I want to go back to this being a setup job. And I want to go back to there being fear. It would seem to me that Jesus is putting his disciples in a scenario where what they're afraid of, they're going to come face to face with it. I think that's true for us. That that God is going to move our lives in directions that might not feel safe to us. So they cry out in fear, and immediately Jesus, while they're in their fear, speaks to them and says, take heart. It is I, do not be afraid. And that word there, take heart, is a fun word. Because take heart's great, right? But it can, has sort of this range of um, be bold. right? While they're afraid, Jesus is saying, be bold. While they're afraid, he's saying, be of good courage. Or my favorite is, and I, I just think this sense is great. Um, Jesus, it, it's to dare, right? So it can be, be, be of good courage, be bold, or be daring. What if daring was a better word for faith? For us, right? Like, we, we've got all this stuff attached to faith, and sometimes we think faith is a subset of things that we believe, and we subscribe to and go, yeah, I believe this, I believe this, right? They're, they're, they're beliefs, but we all know that the things we believe are the things we do. If you think money is valuable, if you think money is the most valuable thing in your life, in life, you will do everything before you to make sure that happens, that to make sure that you have that resource. If you think, you know, you just name all of the things and the things you prioritize in, in your life are the things you, prior, you have pri- give priority to, the things that you think are most valuable. I don't think anybody here, for all, from all of our ages, I don't think any of us prioritize things that we don't think are priorities. And what if you've been, what if I've been, what if we've been prioritizing not facing our fears? Or, you know, staying within the comfort of what we have. And what if Jesus is in our life? What if the Spirit of God is constantly in our life trying to move us out? Saying, be bold in your life. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And then I love Peter. Do you guys like Peter or not? Yes? Right? Peter's great. I, part of why I love Peter is he's got like this shoot first, ask questions later, right? Like, 
Are you kidding? <laughs> you got some clothing, and I, I was hearing some noises too. And okay, we're back. Where were we? Oh, shoot. Okay, good. I thought we were going to go back to Genesis and start over. Yeah. Peter, shoot first, ask questions later, right? Like, Peter's the guy. And by the guy, I don't mean the guy always getting it right. I mean, he is the example for all of us. Every, right, every person in scripture we bump into is an example for us. It's an invitation. It's a way of seeing life. And usually, it's a way of seeing life that is like marred by not getting it quite right. The heroes... The heroes and the heroines of our faith, right? The people, the examples we have, the saints, what they excel at is mercy. They excel at being healed. They excel at facing their fears. And Peter is chief of them because his foot is always clearly inserted into his mouth. So he says, Lord, if it's you, man, Command me to come to you on the water. So what do you think about Peter saying this? How do you, how do you, what is Peter showing us is true of him? We'd say again? All right, he wants some superpowers. He wants to walk on water. He wants to be water walking man. What else? Okay, he believes that, that, that Jesus can do anything. We see it here. Peter believes crazy things. Uh, not this trip, but a few trips ago, when I got down to Galilee, when I got down to the lake, I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to walk on water. And I have so much faith, I'm not going to even take off my shoes. I walked around with wet feet the rest of the day. Peter believes. He's wacky. And, and, and what does he do? How's that first step go for him? He what? Not yet. The first step. It works. And the second step? And then what happens? Huh? It's windy. And here's how I imagine it. I imagine Peter's just looking at Jesus. And then he hears the wind, and what does he do? And as he looks away, as he stops singing that old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, he starts to sink. He gets out of the boat, he starts walking on the water, and he comes to Jesus, but when he noticed, or he came toward Jesus, but when he noticed the strong wind, he became afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, here, here's, I think, a, 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 a playful, fascinating, I think, a fair way to read this. I think most of us read, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And we hear a scolding. Not gentle scolding, but why'd you doubt? Did you not doubt me? But what if it's an actual sincere question? What if Jesus is affectionately calling him little faith, mustard seed? Do you know why you doubted? It seems to me to be very unhelpful for Jesus to do this set up job. Okay, get us all out in the boat in the middle of the lake. A big storm comes and we're all like, what's happening? We see a ghost on the water. The, the ghost shows up. 
let's see, we're gonna say Isaiah says, I'm gonna walk on water. And then Isaiah does, he takes the first, and we're all like, look at Isaiah go. He's doing it. And then he starts to sink, and then Jesus is like, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And I think that's the way we're, we read it. We think God is critiquing where we struggle, where our doubt is, where we're, where we're missing it. And I think he's maybe asking us the question, do you know where your doubt's coming from? If it's a setup job, and I think it is, then the question has to be sincere and loving. Otherwise, it just sounds like Jesus is the mean kid on the playground who's inviting you into a scary spot to scare you for the fun of it. Do you know why and what you're afraid of? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. So that fourth watch that morning, that early, early morning, I like to imagine that the sun is just breaking through at this moment. Right, like as this breakthrough is happening in their lives and their heart when Peter's having this moment when, when, when sort of light is shining on the darkness for him and his heart and all these things that are going on in, in his fear. What's happening in the world around him is like it's, it's like a perfect picture. The sun's breaking through the darkness. Let, let there be light. And, and, and there was light and the light was good and the light was in the darkness. And we have Jesus walking around seeing the light in everyone's life and drawing it out. And we have that same thing happening here and the light is shining not only in Peter's heart and in the hearts of the disciples but also in the, in the world around them, that beautiful morning light. And what I would offer for us today, what I think this passage is offering for us today is to consider what it is we're, we're afraid of, what circumstances or situations in our lives that God is moving us into and towards to give us an opportunity to, to, to face, to be in spots that are scary to us, and then an invitation to be courageous people in those moments, to be daring people in those moments, to be, to be risk takers. And all fine and good, I think, great, yes, I'm in, but then... Maybe you go, well, what if I'm not ready? Well, two things. Maybe you'll never be ready. Maybe that's what the, the, to be bold, to be daring, to be courageous has to say to us is that at some point you just gotta try to walk on the lake even if you end up with wet boots. So, so first is maybe that's it, okay? But then the second is, there will come another moment. This is, remember, this is the second moment on the sea. I, I think of this gently as the remedial lesson of faith on the lake. And I think that's what's so good and gracious about what we see is that God never tires of bringing us forward. 
and brings us as far as we can and then continues to do so. So this morning, what is it, why do, what is it in your life that you're afraid of, that God's inviting you into? And then do you know why you're afraid? Do you know why you're doubting? So I want to give you just a, a moment here um, in stillness to consider that. And then we'll come to the table to.